Okay, so later in the month, I'm going to preach a short sermon, so I'm just going to pay it forward, okay? So, I want to take my time with this. It's an important passage. Of course, it's a, it's a, a great topic to talk about, which is the issue of generosity. If you're just tuning in, we're kind of continuing our series titled Life at the Boiling Point. And really, we're talking about character change. <clears throat> when water is heated to 212 degrees Fahrenheit, it experiences a phase change. It goes from liquid to gas. Likewise, God wants to raise our spiritual temperature so that we see change, not just in ourselves, but in our world. But change in our world starts with us. And so we're talking about disciplines. These are not steps, right? So if you do this, and then you do this, and you do this, then everything's going to be okay, and your life is going to be very different in an obvious way before the presidential election. Instead, these are practices. These are habits that we cultivate in our life. And it becomes a way. It doesn't, they don't become steps. They become a way of life that we embrace. <clears throat> it's the difference between a pot of boiling water and a jacuzzi. Okay? When the water in the pot reaches 212, the water starts to move. All of it starts to change. All of it starts to get heated up. And then it percolates to the surface. And then there is a rolling boil. A jacuzzi is not even half as warm as that pot of water. And yet on the surface, it looks identical. Instead, the water is sucked through filters, and then it's, it's pushed out through jets, and then the water moves like a rolling boil. And it feels warm, and it is. But it's not going through a phase change. It's just movement. And sometimes we can approach Christianity like God just wants us to be jacuzzis. We think that God just wants this activity on the surface, that really what's important is how things appear on the surface. But God is out for so much more than surface activity. He wants to change you deep within. He wants to change what you delight in and what you desire. Then he wants that change deep within you to percolate, to make its way out and to be seen in external action. In regards to generosity, God doesn't want it to be jacuzzi-like, just activity on the surface, just external. But that's how we think about generosity often. We think that the end-all, be-all is to give this magical amount called 10%. And that if, that if we just do 10%, then you know, that's, that's fine. But someone, yeah, so someone can give less than 10% and still be generous. And someone can give more than 10% and be stingy. God wants our giving. Our giving. Generosity is much more than about money. He wants to give our time, our resources, our life. He wants us, that kind of giving, to be born out of a deep, thoughtful consideration. Generosity. Voluntary. Not mandatory. Today we're going to read, God loves a cheerful giver. That is about desire. Desire isn't about the jacuzzi. Desire and delighting and being cheerful about the opportunity to give is something that happens deep within you. What we value, what we delight. So God wants to raise our temperature. And he wants to change us from people who have a, a me-only, me-first, closed mindset 
to being open to the opportunities around us, to come to the point where you will be satisfied, where you would delight in relinquishing and giving instead of keeping. And this goes well beyond 10%. So what we're going to do in this passage is we're going to look at the context, then we're going to look at the specific issue being addressed, and then I'm going to give the preacher's coincidence three things that you need to think about as you kind of work your way uh, toward generosity. So let's look at the context. So this, this passage comes from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, we call it a book, but it was actually a letter sent by Paul to a church in the city of Corinth. So Paul was born in Turkey, but he eventually moved to Jerusalem, and that's where he was educated, and that's where he lived for quite a while. And it was there that he grew in his zealousness, he rose in prominence, and he actually led the persecution against the very first Christians. He treated them horribly. But he had this experience with Jesus that absolutely radically changed him deep within. And eventually Paul came to a point where he said, you know what, there are so many people who do not know about the love of Jesus Christ that I want to spend the rest of my life going to those places and teaching them. And the Jerusalem Christians, those that he had formerly persecuted, rallied around Paul. They not only prayed for him, but they gave financial support. And as a matter of fact, they gave some of their highest qualified people to go with Paul. And even when Paul is far away from the people in the place that he calls home, there's ongoing dialogue between him and Jerusalem. And there was this sense in Paul's life that he knew that what he was experiencing in his life, the work that he was a part of, could not have been happening at all if people were not generous to him. So his plan in this instance was this. He would leave Jerusalem, he would go to Corinth and then Macedonia, and then work his, his way back. So Paul arrived in Corinth. He stayed there for 18 months. He gave generously out of his time, out of his resources. He gathered people together. He discipled them. And then he helped them on their way in their relationship with Jesus. But during this time, he has now left Corinth, and now he's away. But uh, during this time, when he's still in Corinth, actually, news reaches him that the Christians in Jerusalem are going through this horrible, horrible time. Hardships, persecution. Paul could imagine. He had instigated a lot of anti-Christian hate. And the people that he recruited to hate Christians didn't come to Jesus like he did. So Paul has no problem imagining what's happening to those Christians in Jerusalem. And so he shares this with the Corinthian church. And the Corinthian church responds with generosity. They say this, Paul, you go on with your ministry, what you want to do. And then in the meantime, when you're away, we're going to keep doing our job. We're going to save. We're going to gather resources. And when you just come on the way back, just give us a heads up and we'll prepare everything. And you can stop by and then take it to Jerusalem to relieve their suffering. Paul is blown away by this kind of generosity. And he's very optimistic. And then Paul goes to Macedonia, which is, includes Ephesus. But the Macedonians that he came in contact with are poor. They're suffering. And Corinth is rich. And after being there for a while, he says, okay, it's time for me to leave and to go to Corinth and then, and then to Jerusalem. So he sends Titus to check in on the church. And that's why Titus is mentioned in this passage to make preparations on his way back. Word gets back to Paul through a number of influences. 
Everything in Corinth has changed. It's chaotic. And they have done nothing to follow through on their plan for generosity. So that's actually kind of getting you up to speed here. So look at verse 10. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness into desiring it may be matched by your completing of it out of what you have. Paul says this, When I told you about the needs of the Christians in Jerusalem, your heart was touched. You were genuinely moved by this. A year ago, he's saying, you realized that the that the generosity of Jesus was given to you. You realize that the, the generosity of the Jerusalem Christians made it possible. You realize that without their generosity, you wouldn't be a church, and you wouldn't even be a Christian. But Paul says here, it's not enough to desire to be generous. You've got to put it into action. Paul says this, it's for your benefit, your love, your love for the other people, your love for God and your gratitude to God will not feel as if it is complete if you're not able to express it. You will always feel like something's missing if you don't follow through on your heart's desire. So Paul says this in verse 1 and 2. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. When Paul went to Macedonia and he saw firsthand that they were being persecuted, that they were living in severe, abject poverty, they still wanted to give. And contrary to the Corinthians, the Macedonians did not let the, the chaos of life keep them from following through on being generous. They didn't let their sympathy dry up. It didn't lead them to be passive. Their desire is followed by action. Here's what's incredible about the Macedonians. They're undergoing this intense, painful experience, but they allow it to be a door for more compassion. That's why their joy can increase in their affliction, because their love is able to find expression. Be being hurt has the capacity, has the potential to close us down. Have you ever noticed the body language of a kid who's been hurt? They crawl into your lap and what do they do? They hunch over. They close in on themselves. They don't feel safe. They feel hurt. And they just crawl into a ball. Self-protection. When life gets difficult and there's finance problems, relationship problems, the chaos of life, it is very possible for us to close down and to get into self-preservation mode. What about me? I'm not safe. And we can become small-hearted, and we can forget about the needs of others. And that's not the case for the Macedonians. They are so big-hearted, they not only cry for themselves, but they cry for the Jerusalem Christians, and then they say, we want to serve you. That's generosity. That's generosity. That's why generosity is more than giving 10%. It's about a deep change in your values. It is about a deep change in what you take delight in. And the reaction of the Macedonians surprises Paul in verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief 
of the saints. And this not only as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Not as we expected. <clears throat> Paul shared with them his plans to return to Corinth, gather the resources, and then go to Jerusalem and relieve the suffering of the Christians there. When the Macedonians heard it, they said, wait, you've got to let us do this. You've got to let us do this. This is an amazing opportunity for us. We have the opportunity to give to someone who knows exactly how we feel. We're able to give to others so that they won't have to face what we faced. You would be robbing us, Paul, if you didn't let us relieve the suffering of others. That's not drudgery. This is the lie. This is enthusiasm. This is generosity. This is reaching 212. Paul says, they gave according to their means. Their offering of relief to Jerusalem is not judged by how much other people gave. Right? Their generosity is not judged by how much other people give. It is possible to give big, even when the amount is small. And they gave. They gave themselves to God and then to us. They heard about the opportunity. They considered the opportunity. They looked at their own resources. <clears throat> they gave it to God and us. Meaning that they were confident. They thought about it. They prayed about it. They considered it. And then they came to a point where they say, as small as this is, God can use it. This is what generosity looks like. This is not about seeing a small sliver of your life as belonging to God. This is about seeing 100% of your life as an instrument in the hands of God for the benefit of others. That is generosity. Generosity is about seeing all of your life as a resource that God can use for the good of other people. Generosity is not about giving money. Generosity is about giving yourself. Generosity is not about giving 10%. Generosity goes with your time, with your talents, with your skills, with your whole life. That's what we're talking about when we talk about generosity. They gave themselves to God. They gave themselves to God. <clears throat> so we've talked about the context. We've talked about the specific issue. Now let's get to the good stuff. Let's talk about complications. Because <clears throat> there are some. Right? Look, I realize it would be much easier if God or someone with a microphone on Sunday morning said, look, <clears throat> here's the amount. Just give this amount and get on with your life. Just make sure that God gets his cut, of course, but just do this amount, and then that's enough, and you're a generous person. But Paul says in verse 8, this is not a command. Don't you hate that? Like half the time, we rail against evangelical Christianity because it's all about commands, but then when it comes to generosity, we really just want a command. Just tell me what I can do so I know that I'm a good person. Right? But God is like a good parent or like a good teacher. He allows us to grapple with the complexity of finding the right answer. That's why I said last week in hospitality that God's hospitality, God's welcome for us, allows for imperfection. God, not making this a command in 2 Corinthians here, is giving room for imperfection, for your misunderstanding, my misunderstanding. And He allows us to mature 
in our understanding and our enjoyment of it over the course of our life. And look, I realize, oh boy, do I realize, that talking about finances is very tricky. Maybe you have trouble talking about finances with the person you live with. You should try doing it up front on a Sunday morning, and it's recorded, and it's on the internet, right? I know nothing about anyone's finances in here, except my own, and kinda, really, and kinda. I know my kids' finances. I don't know how much you give. I don't know how much you make. I mean, it's really none of my business. But I know people, and I've read the research, and I've gone to conferences, and I've read the papers, and I've talked to a lot of people over the course of my short life, and I get the general picture. All right? And that's the best caveat I've ever written, okay? But let me just pull up just, just a percentage, okay? We're not trying to make this law, all right? Not a command. Some of you give 2% to charity, to Trinity or other organizations. But some of you give 2% for different reasons. <clears throat> for some of you, the expense of a place like Orange County and where you are with your earnings right now, with your career, makes it really difficult to get by. And you feel guilty because that's all that you can give right now. And you feel guilty that you can only give 2%. You want to give more, but the situation of your life is difficult. And you feel like you have to trust God every month to have a positive outcome in your finances. You feel guilty about it. But from my perspective, I look at your life, and I remember the difficult times in my family, and I consider you and I say, and yet with all those pressures, you still choose to give. And it's amazing. It blows me away. You can give big even when the amount is small. But some of you give 2% for a different reason. And it's because you don't manage your finances. Or you don't manage your finances well. Generosity is not a priority. And you have such a, a, a greater capacity for generosity than you're experiencing right now. So what would it mean for you to prioritize giving? Not just to Trinity, the place and the people that you call home, but to other organizations that touch your heart, that alleviate human misery. What would it look like for you to be on your way to becoming a more generous person? It's not about desire. It's not even about being ready. It's about action, is what Paul says. So think about this. And look, uh, verse 12 is very important, so do you mind reading it with me? Or I'll read it, but... I want you to see this. <clears throat> Verse 12. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. 
the offering of the Macedonians is not judged by how much the Corinthians give. It's according to their ability. And the reason that God gives us abundance is to share. And the whole fairness thing, I know that we could nuance that 20 different ways from now until next Sunday. But the reason that God gives us these things is to share. And at the same time, this passage never warrants anyone to be reckless with their finances or their generosity. I don't want you to pay their bills and not have enough for your own that you would be impoverished. But if you have abundance, then being open to sharing it. So listen, no matter where you are with generosity, God's desire is that you would grow in your understanding and your enjoyment of it. All right? And I'm not that great of a salesperson, but that's really what God wants. And I know I said that with a downward inflection or deflection in my voice, but God really does want you to grow in your understanding of generosity and your delight in it. Look at verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So the Corinthians have been taught about Jesus, that he was rich and impoverished himself voluntarily on behalf of us who were spiritually poor. And they've grown. They've excelled. The word for excel is giving the idea of abundance, exceeding the ordinary. Okay? So they've grown in their faith. They've exceeded the ordinary in their ability to trust God. In speech, they have exceeded the ordinary in their knowledge of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They've exceeded the ordinary in their earnestness in taking their spiritual life seriously. They've experienced an ever-increasing love of Paul and other Christians. And he says, I want you to excel in generosity also. So here's the question. Do you think that a Christian should want to stop growing in faith? No. Do you think a Christian should ever want to stop growing in their knowledge of God? No. So do you think that a person should ever want to stop growing in their ability to be generous? No, of course not. Of course not. And Paul says, I want you to excel. I want you to exceed the ordinary here without giving a percentage, without giving an amount. So that's where we're headed now, is to kind of think through a few things to help us kind of take this passage, apply it to our heart, and then to kind of give us some things to think about as we become generous people. So Paul continues this conversation in chapter 9. And I'm going to summarize it for you, but he says, okay, so when I was with you in Corinth, you stated, like you came up to me and you stated how much you were touched by the people's plight in Jerusalem. And you stated what you wanted to do, like that you were going to do all of this stuff for them. And now time has elapsed and now you're not quite sure that you can or want to follow through on your generous statements. So he says this, let me give you something to think about between now and when I arrive. And then, I'll just take what you give, and I'll take it to Jerusalem. All right? So listen to verse 7. So chapter 9, verse 7. 
Each person must give as they have decided in their heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So, here's the three things I was telling you about earlier. You are to give thoughtfully, intentionally. You are to give what you have decided in your heart. And that requires the hard work of self-assessment. Paul says, you are to give what you have decided in your own heart. And that means self-assessment. Are my financial priorities right? Am I trying to impress God or others? Or am I trying to leverage it as control and influence? Look, money follows your heart. Money follows your values. So let me ask you a question in a positive way. What tugs at your heart? What tugs at your heart? Trinity, you believe in the, in the mission and the vision of Trinity? <clears throat> what tugs at your heart? Substance abuse victims? Families affected by HIV AIDS? <clears throat> Now, what does it mean for your generosity to fall in line around that? So you're to give intentionally, thoughtfully, and you're to give confidently. Confidently. Paul says not reluctantly. Give wholeheartedly. And the confidence comes because you've thought about it. You've prayed about it. You've come to a place where you say, I am certain that this pleases God and it pleases other people not out of guilt. <clears throat> and you need, to think, you're, you need to think seriously about it, to give confidently, and that's why you can give cheerfully. You're to give enthusiastically. You're to give cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. The root word for cheerful is hilarious. Hilarious. He loves a hilarious giver. That's abundant happiness. I'm not saying that in a few minutes when the baskets are passed, we all start clapping, you know, and cheering. Maybe that's a good idea. I don't know. But Paul's point is the cheerful person is a person who's satisfied. They're ready to act because they've been persuaded beforehand that it's the right and best way to do. That's how you can be cheerful. You've prayed about it. You've thought about it, you've made the decision, and now it is your privilege and your delight to give because you've done all the hard work beforehand. They've prayed, they've considered their means, they've, they've, they've thought about the need, and then they become persuaded that it is the right and best thing to do. They give with no regrets, they give with no guilt. They can honestly say, I feel like I'm giving myself and not just my stuff. Intentionally, confidently, cheerfully and all of us are at different points in this journey toward being generous and being generous is going to look different from person to person but the invitation is for you to grow in your relationship with God and to trust God and to mature over time to exceed the ordinary God is not shaming you today God's presence is never shaming. 
It is always redemptive. It is always redeeming and restoring. Paul says as much when he says God is all sufficient in all things at all times to make you abundant in all grace. The reason that we can exceed the ordinary is because that is how God treats us. That he exceeds the ordinary in what he gives us. Specifically his love and grace. That he is the fountain of abundance that pours over us and fills our heart with all the benefits of his salvation. And this is most clearly seen in Jesus Christ, who was the high king of heaven, who self-impoverished. So that we who are spiritually poor, living in abject spiritual poverty, could be brought into the family and receive his inheritance. It's amazing. So let me close with this. Transformation takes time. It takes effort, and it takes the work of God. It takes God's help. So no matter where you are right now with this, God invites you first into a closer relationship with him. And then he invites you to seriously think about what it, really to just seriously think about your life and how you use your resources. And then when you do that, he's asking you to seriously think about what it means to become a happier more generous person. So, friends, today if you hear his voice, it is not a shaming voice. It is a voice of a God who comes near, even in confusing, hard times. And he is there for you. He leaves room for you. He leaves room for imperfection. He leaves room for you to go overboard. And then he pulls you back. Then he leaves room for you to be apathetic. And then he gives you a push. But he is here with you today. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. But enter into a deeper relationship with God who not only welcomes, but gives abundantly with his presence and grace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, You are a God who gives, and you're a God who who gives out of the fullness of yourself. And so I pray that you would help us to grow in our relationship and trust with you, that we would be intentional, that we would think about this, and that you would help us to make just the next step to follow through on the desires that we have. And that you would help us to trust you, that you are God who gives abundantly, not just in resources, the things that we can touch, feel, and see, but that you are always bestowing more and more of your grace and presence to us. So help us to live in light of this beautiful gospel, that Jesus Christ had no place to lay his head, that he did not give 10% of himself, but he gave 100% to you and to us, confidently, enthusiastically, Cheerfully, for for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross for us. Help us to be cheerful like Jesus. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.